<clears throat> well, good morning again. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to this wonderful little epistle of Philemon. Just real quickly, before we get started, I did want to say a couple of words about the conference, the Pillars of Faith conference in April. Um, just so you have some additional details, I've been talking to Mike and Pat about the conference, and they're very excited. And, and I can give you a, a sense of what it's going to be about. The theme is going to be um, Christ in the Old Testament. And uh, Pat is going to be speaking on Friday night at 7. That's the first session, Friday, April 12th at 7 p.m., and he's going to be talking on recovering the Christian Old Testament, um, which I think is going to be very, very helpful. Um, and then Mike will be speaking on Saturday morning, beginning at 9.30, um, and he's going to be speaking from the book of Job. And looking at the book of Job as it um, communicates to us what the Bible is about and about Christ. It's significant because it's the first book. Um, and um, in the context of the writing of the books of the Bible. And it gives us an idea of what we need to look for from the other books in the Bible. And that's going to be very helpful. And Mike, uh, Pat's going to be speaking then also on Saturday uh, in the second session. Um, he's going to be speaking from Exodus 15, and that's going to be called Singing with Moses. And um, he's going to be talking about the significance of um, uh, the hymn that Moses sang in Exodus 15 and how that points us to Christ and um, how Moses was a mediator but was a failed mediator and points to Christ who was the perfect mediator. And then Mike's going to be speaking then on Sunday morning from Genesis 3.15 um, and asking the question, who is the Messiah? And then talking about the idea of all those who came and failed but one, that is Jesus Christ. Um, and, of course, on Friday evening, there will be a Q&A after Pat's session. Um, Sunday, after uh, the service, we'll have a time of fellowship with Mike and Pat both here. So I hope that you'll make an effort to have that time set aside and, and come out here. These men are taking time away from their own churches to be here with us, to fellowship with us, and to encourage us in the Word. And so I hope that you'll um, make the effort to be here and be a part of that significant time for our church. So we're in Philemon. And we're working through uh, the, the wonders of this little epistle. We have gleaned much from it. And I hope today that um, we'll be able to wrap this up. I know that people have been uh, engaging in a lot of wagering about how long it's going to take me to get through Philemon. How long can Pastor John ring out 25 verses? Well... Today could indeed be the end. I'm not sure what the over-under is on that, but, you know, it's your money. <laughs> so before we get into this wonderful little epistle, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do love you. We thank you for uh, the joy of being here today. Um, as uh, we were reminded by Danny this morning, it is indeed good to be in the house of the Lord uh, to come here and to be with other believers, uh, people of like precious faith, to be encouraged, exhorted, and edified together as we study your word. 
what a glorious thing this is, and we are grateful to you for it. Bless us, we pray this morning, as we collectively worship you um, by studying your word and by hearing the proclamation of the word. Uh, may you open our hearts and minds to understand it, to receive it, to hear it, and to heed it, um, as we were reminded earlier. We ask, Lord, that you would um, bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit, that through the work of the Spirit and his power, that our attention would be honed and focused and that we would be receptive to hear the word, that our hearts would be softened, um, and that we would indeed be changed by his working through the word in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so very much. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we have from Matthew 28 that we can rest. Oh, what a glorious idea. What a, what a wonderful principle. What an important doctrine for us. We are able to rest because Christ has done all the work. We are so grateful, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Help us to have a better understanding of resting in the finished work of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's read Philemon this morning, beginning with verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you, he's referring to Philemon, of course, in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Pay attention to the word refresh. We're going to see that idea again today. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, 
Of course, we understand the context in which Philemon is set. We have an understanding of that based upon our study of the book of Colossians, which gave us some insight into this dynamic in some ways. We understand that Philemon is hosting the church that is in Colossae in in his home, and Onesimus at one point in time was one of his slaves who stole from him, apparently, then ran away, and by God's providence ended up in Rome and meeting Paul, of all people. And by and through Paul's witness to him and the work of the Holy Spirit, Onesimus is saved. And then Paul sends him back um, to Colossae, and to be reunited with Philemon, hopefully in a context that is Christ-honoring and is uh, representative of a person who has truly been born again. Onesimus being a believer, Philemon being a believer, he anticipates that the two of them are going to be reconciled to each other in Jesus Christ and that there is going to be a restoration of a relationship not only as master and slave, potentially, but more importantly, as brothers in Christ engaged in the ministry of the gospel. Paul's anticipation is that Philemon is going to be more concerned about being reconciled than right, and that's important. I don't claim that as my own. Uh, One of our dear friends here at the church, uh, a member who is not present but was watching, texted me last Sunday and said, Yeah, this seems to be about being uh, reconciled versus being right, and I think that was very insightful. So I told him I was going to take that, and he said I could as long as I gave credit to the Holy Spirit, so I do that. So Holy Spirit, thank you for uh, leading Rod Robinson to think that way. So thank you, Rod. It's even on the church sign. Right or reconciled is the question, and we are indeed talking about that. The idea of one claiming one's right, the the opportunity to be right, versus being reconciled. And Paul's exhortation to us, of course, is to be reconciled and not to claim our position, our power, or rights relative to a relationship or dynamic, especially in the context of the body-life environment, that is, within the church itself. Paul is concerned about there being reconciliation and flowing through this wonderful little epistle are all these themes of the picture of a mediator. Paul mediating between Onesimus and Philemon. Paul offering to pay for Onesimus' debt, which is a picture of atonement and propitiation. Paying a price that cannot be paid. Onesimus didn't have any money to pay Philemon back. That would have been impossible for him to do. And Paul acting in this manner to to bring reconciliation just as Christ himself did. These are three very important themes that we find in the book of Colossians. As I've said before, Philemon is simply the book of Colossians in application. And it's wonderful that God gave us the opportunity to see in, in, in a very dynamic, difficult way how the book of Colossians works, especially chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. And even incorporating the verses later on in chapter 3 about the slave-master relationship and what he would anticipate that dynamic would look like between Philemon and Onesimus, if indeed Onesimus would remain in that particular state. And so today what we're going to be doing is moving on, and, and, and my plan, it's just my plan, don't hold me to it, and if you need to text your bookie and make a change, go ahead. It's the only time you can use your phone in church. 
If you have a bookie, we need to talk. <laughs> but we're going to be looking in particular at verses 20 through the end. So we're going to be considering moving out of then the picture that Paul was painting um, in verse 19 and, and verses 17, 18, and 19, this picture of mediation, atonement, propitiation, reconciliation, those important doctrines, moving now to this, this picture of Philemon, then living out the realities of all of that. So keep in mind that undergirding all of this is what Paul would teach ultimately in Colossians chapter 3. So let's go back for a moment for foundation, because it's important. Ultimately, as we consider what's going on between Philemon and Onesimus, we certainly see the application of verse 12 of chapter 3. Certainly, verse 11 is in play. There's no distinction between slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, it's interesting is that for Paul, Onesimus and Philemon in the eyes of the Lord are equals. Culturally, they're not because of the slave-master dynamic, but in the eyes of God, they're equals. And so in the context of that, he's anticipating that the reality of their conversion, the reality of their salvation is going to be played out by the presence of these virtues that are exhibited out of love for Jesus Christ. Notice, we'll notice in Philemon that Paul makes frequent reference to doing things in the Lord, in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. The anticipation is that the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit is going to drive both of these men to act in a manner that is so radically different from the world that it will be, frankly, shocking. And that he's doing this in front of the entire congregation to demonstrate to them as well the reality and the significance of his conversion. That he's going to continue to perpetuate the good testimony that he has that Paul commends him for in verses 5, 6, and 7. He is known to be a person who is one who refreshes because of his love and his, his adoration for Christ and his service to others, his love for others. Paul uses the word agape in verse 5 to demonstrate, to define the type of love that Philemon demonstrates to other believers. And so it's out of that heart of love then that this reconciliation, rather than claiming one's right, comes from. And the means by which we move into that reconciliation mode is to apply the virtues that are found in verse 12 and moving into verse 13. So he says in verse 12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that's covenant language, as we know, reaching back into the Old Testament, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. So this is... This is important as it relates to the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Forgiveness incorporates with it the principle of reconciliation, as Paul would also teach in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 and 22. Let's go back and look at that for a moment. So we don't lose sight of the under, our underlying doctrine that drives what Paul is talking about in Philemon. Again, look at this. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, 
engaged in evil deeds, Colossians 1.21, yet he has now, what, reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to, what, present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Notice that the holy and blameless status is based upon Jesus Christ, not what you've done, which is very important. You're already holy and blameless. Do you know that? Can I hear an amen? Do you, do you understand that? He's, he's presenting you. That's not based upon what you've done. That's not in the future. There's no future salvation or final justification. Praise God for that. It's done. So, so it's, already, it's already been completed. Everything about you in the context of being holy and blameless is because Christ's righteousness has been given over to your account. Like I said earlier, your highlight reel is the life of Jesus Christ. You get to rest in that. Come to me, remember? All of you who are what? Heavy laden, burdened with what? Your works of righteousness, your efforts, your continuous driving to achieve something that you can never have and never get. And so for Paul, this idea of forgiveness on the part of Philemon towards Onesimus is being driven by this very principle. Philemon is just a remarkable little book. Do you not love it? I do. There's just so much good stuff here. And so, we, we then understand with these doctrines in play, the picture of mediation, the picture of forgiveness like Christ forgave, um, the, the idea of, of all of these things being cloaked in love, the picture of atonement, the picture of propitiation, a debt owed, a debt canceled, wrath assuaged, taken away. It's both a propitiation and expiation picture. Payment for the penalty, the wrath taken away. Jesus Christ does that for us. And then someone paying, as Paul does here, we, we note that as well. So in verse 20, we have this by Paul. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Now, we note that he refers to Paul as a, or refers to uh, Philemon as a brother, which is important. It's a good reminder. And it's interesting, too, how Paul catches this and emphasizes it. So the word yes here at verse 20 is important. It's, it's a repetition. It's an emphatic repetition of a previous statement. So basically what he's saying to Philemon, I want you to pay attention to what I've been saying, and I'm basically going to say it again to you. Yes, brother, let me benefit, benefit from you in the Lord. I want you to demonstrate in real time the reality of your conversion, the reality of your salvation, the changed heart, because this is what Christians do. This is how Christians live. This is how Christians think. And it's a, he says, ultimately, then, as a consequence of this, and this is so beautiful, I think, the idea that when one lives out the reality of their faith because they love the Lord Jesus Christ, this in the Lord phrase speaks to the idea of one who is, is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and it, you're going to demonstrate for someone else, you're going to benefit them by showing them how much you love Jesus Christ by your conduct. And indeed, when that happens, it's refreshing. It's refreshing. And isn't it refreshing? This, this, is what, this is what life in the church is supposed to be like. 
in the context of the koinonia, the one another's of the Bible, we are refreshing each other as we engage in those with each other. Bearing in mind, too, that Philemon is written specifically to Philemon, but it's also being read to the church. So they're benefiting from watching and listening to Paul's exhortation to Philemon and then watching Philemon live it out in the Lord. And they're going to be refreshed by that. They're, they're, they're going to be reminded. How does refreshment come? It, it comes by seeing a display in real time of the realities of all the things that are attendant with salvation. Changed hearts, changed minds, changed attitudes, the presence of the virtues on display, cloaked in love. What would have been anticipated to have happened between a slave owner and a master doesn't happen in the cultural context, but in the dynamics of real life living Christianity, it is. It's displayed and it refreshes, it encourages. People see it and they say, Isn't the Lord good? Isn't the Lord wonderful? Look, look how Philemon is forgiving Onesimus. He stole from him. He ran from him. Look what the Lord has done. He brought Onesimus back here. Yes, Paul sent him, but he sent him, and, and, and God used Paul to send Onesimus back. This is all God's doing. And he does these things to bring about an opportunity for people to see in a real vivid demonstration the power of salvation, how it changes a person from claiming their rights to becoming reconciled. I really like that picture. I like the idea, too, of being refreshed in Jesus Christ. The idea of being refreshed is important too because it speaks to the idea of, of causing someone to rest or giving someone rest or, or even reviving. Uh, so we can use it in both contexts. So, so Paul can say, he's in prison. Refresh my heart in Christ. Revive, revive me. I'm in prison. I'm here. I'm languishing in this context. Let me see the real demonstration of a transformed heart. Let me rest and revel in the wonders of your salvation, it will remind me of the wonders of my salvation. As I see other people doing these types of things, it reminds me of what Jesus Christ has done for me. It's a good reminder that I too was a great debtor and that someone paid my debt, that someone canceled the certificate of my debt, that someone has forgiven my infractions, my guilt, that someone paid the price in full and I'll never be asked for it again. Refresh my heart in Christ. That's what's supposed to be happening in church. And so Paul, as I think about this and the people listening to it and the eyes are on Philemon, poor Philemon. You talk about being the center of attention. My goodness. I mean, and it's interesting too because in a way, Paul is, is gently pushing him. There's a subtlety to this. Now here's something else to keep in mind. Paul is no respecter of persons. 
Philemon's a wealthy man. He owns a home. He has slaves. He has means. He probably is financing and helping Paul in some way. And yet he does this. Hi, Philemon, my big benefactor. <laughs> I just sent your runaway slave back to you. And oh, by the way, he's my brother in Christ. And I hope and trust that he's going to be your brother in Christ too. And you're going to demonstrate to everybody that he really is. And in so doing, you're going to refresh all of our hearts in Christ. Now, ultimately, what this is about, because it's, again, it's, it's Colossian in application. So what we're seeing then is that Paul is looking to Philemon to demonstrate the reality of his union in Christ. Now, we talk about union with Christ, and certainly that's important, but there's another dynamic of being in Christ. The idea of all that is Christ is mine. That the Father has given me everything that is in Christ. Everything is yes and amen in Christ. That's why faith alone is so important. I cannot add anything to that, no matter how faithful I am. Now, let me be certain that I'm clear about this. Do I want you to be faithful? Absolutely. But I don't want you to rest in it, ever. Don't ever rest in your faithfulness. Because if you do, you're a Pharisee. Now, could you be concerned about your faithfulness? Absolutely. Should you be concerned about whether you're reading the Bible? Yes. Am I going to tell you how often you have to read your Bible? No. Do I read my Bible enough? No. Do any of us read our Bible enough? No. Could I read it more? Yes. But you know what? God still loves me if I wake up tomorrow morning and I don't read it. Or if I get to pray before I go to bed. Or if I forget to think about somebody or reach out to someone, or do, does, does, he, does his love falter or change towards me in any way or context or dynamic? Absolutely not, never. Why? Because it's all about Christ. Everything is yes and amen in Christ, not John Tucker. Praise God for that. And so, this is the manner in which we are refreshed, we're revived when we see people just, just living in the context of the reality of their salvation. I love that idea. It's so good for us. We find here then a picture of, of ultimately Paul talking about grace received is grace given. Right? God was gracious towards you. Yet while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. You were a child of wrath, a child of disobedience, but God in his what great mercy saved you. By grace, not according to your works, so you can't boast about it. Because I'm going to tell you what, if you could, you would. And even though you can't, you still do. So, verse 20 is a neat verse. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is, 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 is angling in on Philemon. The rubber's going to meet the road. Now look at 21. Having confidence. 
Oh, this is Paul talking. Oh, boy. Paul saying to Philemon, Listen, buddy. (laughs) Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. (laughs) Poor Philemon. So now there's a little more pressure. And he's saying to him, friend, I know this is a difficult situation. I know that it seems to strain every fiber of your body. But I'm writing to you, and I have confidence, not, not, in, not, not in the idea that, 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 that Philemon is just um, uh, playing games, but he is speaking to the idea that he knows Philemon by reputation. How do we know this? We know it because the Bible tells us so in verses 4 through 9, where we have Paul talking about how he prays for Philemon and what Philemon's reputation already is. It's an exhortation to Philemon to to, to continue to do what you're known for, to be patient, to be a, a, a man who has a heart of compassion, to be gentle and kind and forbearing and forgiving and loving. Continue now in the face of this very difficult situation. It's easy to do those things. Ultimately, it's the, it's the kind of the idea. It's easy to do those things in kind of just a general setting. Yeah, we kind of love, we kind of pay, we're kind of patient, we're kind of gentle. Oh, an Onesimus walks in the back door. Now what? Now what? Paul says to Philemon, friend, I want you to continue in your obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, is that a rigid, rote obedience? No, it's a heart-driven obedience, and it's going to have to be because the situation is so difficult. It's going to have to come from his heart for it to matter or to make any difference at all. The people will see through it if he's just going through it by rote. If it's just a rigid, hard application, oh, hi, Onesimus, side hug, and, um, you know, that type of thing. Now, remember, he told him, I want you to greet him like he's me. Like I just walked in the back door. So he's going to continue with that theme. And he's going to continue with the theme, too, of the application of all of these important ideas about atonement and reconciliation and all of that. He wants him to be mindful of the fact that he too was a sinner at one point in need of a savior and that God saved him mercifully through the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. And so he says to him, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you. That's an emphasis to to make certain that Philemon is catching the idea that this is directed at him, that, that Paul is personally writing to him. Since I know that you will do even more than what I say, I, I, I like this because what it speaks to is that, and here's what, here's, what the, here's what the concern is. 
we don't want to be the kind of Christians who do the bare minimum, right? And so we can kind of go through the motions and, and do these things, but what we're ultimately being called to do is to do even more than that. To, to make the personal sacrifices, to go beyond, because that's what love does. That's what the love for the brethren does. It drives us beyond the normal barriers and boundaries, even within the culture, the context of the culture of the church. The idea I've just done enough, but I'm, we're going to do even more. What is more? What would be more for Onesimus? Who is he? What would he like to be? Free. So, the idea, the implication of verse 21, I have confidence in you, Philemon. I know you by reputation. I know your testimony. I know that you love the brethren. I know that you love the church in Colossae. I'm writing to you with my own hand. Since I know, I wrote this letter knowing that you will do even more than what I say. Well, he has said so far, what? Receive him back as a brother, forgive him, cancel his debt, welcome him in. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's all behind you. Nothing, nothing's happened. It's forgotten. What's the more? It's to free him. It's to free Onesimus. That's significant. We don't know if that ultimately happened. Many church historians believe that it did because there are some accounts, and there's questions about their authenticity, about Onesimus showing up in other areas involved in ministry in other churches. Perhaps maybe even going back to Rome and being with Paul in some context. It's uncertain. We can't be dogmatic about that. But certainly the implication of verse 21 is that there's an appeal on the part of Paul. And we, we have a sense of this, too. If you go back and you look at verse 12, you see a, a, there was a hesitancy on the part of Paul to, to send Onesimus back to Philemon. Paul says in verse 12, I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart. That's an important phrase. That very heart, man, there's a lot. Paul's got a lot invested emotionally and spiritually in Onesimus. There's a, there's a connection there. There's a, there's a relationship there that is very dynamic and important. So when Paul says it's my very heart, that's that inner kind of emotion connection that is very unique. Verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might, be, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. Now go to 21. And how is he anticipating that Philemon is going to exercise his will with regard to his rights to Onesimus? I think and I believe he's, gonna, he's thinking, you need to let him go. You need to free him. Significant. Now, we also have Paul's teaching in Colossians 3 about the relationship between a slave and a master. And, and, and one could argue, perhaps, that 
that exhortation is to Onesimus himself and to Philemon that if the relationship continues, I expect it to be in the context and dynamic of this type of, of relationship, one driven again by Christ. Both of you serving Jesus Christ in the context of being a slave and a master. But certainly verse 21 speaks to an idea that Paul is, is, is nudging Philemon to perhaps let him go, let Onesimus go. Well, again, the idea here, the underlying drive is the issue of grace, the issue of reconciliation, the exercise of the virtues, the exercise of love, the idea that Philemon has been given a picture of his own salvation. We've all been given a picture of our salvation. We are all Onesimuses. Our worth is in Jesus Christ. And Paul drives those principles and those themes home here. And so in verse 22, Paul shifts for the first time in a while to a more general application to the whole congregation. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. The word your there is a plural of many people, so it's referring to the church. So he transitions back to the church and lets the church know, and by letting the church know that he's coming back, even that kind of puts on a little bit more pressure on Philemon. I may show up, and oh, by the way, church, I'm, I'm praying so hard about showing up that I want you to get a room ready for me. You know, book me someplace at the Holiday Inn and, and, and get it all set up. So at the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers, so people are praying for Paul, people are praying that he would be freed, that he would be released, that he would be sent to him, to them rather. And this would be significant for the congregation to think that the Apostle Paul would come. That would be a big deal. That would be important. Paul had a reputation. He was known, of course. He's writing letters, sending letters. So there was a sense in which Paul's ministry was appreciated and was considered significant. So he tells them, I'm praying that I will be given to you. He's trusting in God's providence. He understands that ultimately that God is going to be the one who decides if he is freed or not. Noting before that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus, as it says in verse 1. So he understands that his release is dependent upon God's providence in that regard, something that we can all take note of in regards to understanding that God is in control of everything, all circumstances, all situations, and that he has a plan and purpose. Ultimately, we know from history that Paul was not released. We know from Scripture that he was not released and that he was ultimately beheaded a short time after this epistle was written. Gave his life for the gospel. And then we have this. Again, there's a sense in which there is a, I don't want to call it pressure, but there's a reminder that there are other people in the picture. <laughs> So you got the congregation, and now you've got these other people that Philemon definitely knows. He would certainly know Epaphras because Epaphras was the pastor of the church. So he knows him, and he knows that Epaphras is, is, a, is a good, solid minister of the gospel. And so there's a reminder that, that, um, that his, 
his, his, his refreshment, his refreshing of people is going to reach into other people's lives too. That he's going to demonstrate the reality of his conversion and the manner in which he treats his Onesimus to these other people as well. Now certainly there's the context in which this is a greeting to the church and the church is encouraged by this. People still care. Epaphras still cares about his congregation. That would be an encouragement to the people and also to Philemon. Paul, as we know, refers to him as my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus and that Epaphras greets him and the church. As do these other people that we are so familiar with from our study in Colossians. I'm not going to go back through their entire life and history. We did that in Colossians and noted the significance. But again, it's, it's, it's worthy of note that we have Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. Paul's fellow workers. Mark, who had been a, a worthless one to Paul, now was useful to Paul and in the ministry. And so we have a picture there of restoration. We have Aristarchus, who is a, 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 a bastion of faithfulness and, and hardiness. He went with Paul on many, many missionary journeys. He was persecuted with Paul in Ephesus. He was uh, with Paul through some of the most difficult times and was one who carried many of his letters and, and communicated on Paul's behalf to other churches. We have Demas, who was, for a season, one who was engaged in the ministry with Paul, but who would later prove himself faithless and would abandon Paul at a time when Paul needed all the help that he could get. He said that Demas loved the present age and left Paul in the ministry and went to Thessalonica. And Luke, of course, we hardly have to say much about Luke. Uh, a Gentile, uh, a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, and one who would um, uh, write much and, and speak much of Christ, and who would make great efforts to, to accurately record in great detail the life of Jesus Christ to establish that he indeed is the Son of God. Well, then the final verse the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, this is important because Paul then goes back to the issue of grace. This is not just merely an ending uh, salutation, um, an ending word of encouragement, but it's a reminder of, of the idea of grace. And this word grace here carries some theological freight. It's significant because the theme of Philemon is grace. As I noted, it really is about the idea of a grace received and a grace given, a picture of God's grace in our lives and how we then extend that grace to others in reflection on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so Paul here uses the idea of grace to again drive home the idea for Philemon to, to be a man of grace, to act in grace towards Onesimus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's a reminder to both Philemon and to the church. Let's live out the reality of this amazing grace that God has so wonderfully extended, mercifully extended into each of your lives. It is by grace that you have been saved. And this is a good reminder and so the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
the idea there being that this is going to govern, it's going to regulate, it's going to marshal how we think and how we act and how we react and do, all, do it on, in, in the context of all those things, even in the face of what, uh, what would be an incredibly difficult setting. This is just a wonderful little epistle. And yes, we have finished it. And the people rejoiced. We should have had a barbecue today or something. It's too cold, you're right. But I don't want you, though, to lose the significance of the meaning of it. And I trust that our time in this wonderful little epistle has indeed refreshed your heart in Christ. What a wonderful reminder we have been given that God so graciously preserved. Now, isn't it a miracle? You all want to know what a miracle is? That you're reading Philemon in Beloit, Ohio today. That's a miracle. And that's God's grace to you, isn't it? That this book would be kept and preserved so that you too could be convicted, encouraged, exhorted, and directed by it. And importantly, directed where? Not into your own self-righteousness, but to Jesus Christ. That is what's so significant. And I trust that the Lord will bless our time in this epistle um, and that it will operate in real time at Community Bible Church in the context of our own body life and our own fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for preserving this precious epistle for us. Thank you for preserving it over all of these years. Thank you for the opportunity to spend time in it, to read it, um, to understand it, and continue, Lord, to open our minds to receive and comprehend it. Um, mature us, Lord, as we read through your word, and as you do that, may the depth and the glory and the wonder of this epistle become even more evident to us. We, we, we struggle at times to comprehend and fully appreciate all the meanings that are attendant with what you've so graciously given to, it, to us. But as we read this and read it again and read it again in the years to come, Lord willing, may it continue to refresh us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for refreshing us this morning through your word, pointing us to Jesus Christ, in whose glorious name we pray. Amen.